Good morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is God's word. We've been in a series on the book of Ephesians for the last couple of months. We're continuing that this morning. I'm going to try to go fast. We have a very packed morning. I'm thankful for this church. We have been here for a long time. We've actually been here since 2006, but I've been here full time since 2007, and I'm grateful for you. I don't do it for the stuff. I do it because uh, it is amazing to approach the Lord together, grow in him. And it's not always easy, but we say we are a family here. And so I'm thankful for you for that. As we continue to walk in this passage, uh, we come upon a marvelous section. So let's pray before we do that we may receive God's illumination. Let's pray. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for this passionate, true, amazing unfolding of your plan, of your mystery, that you are God, that you have remained with your people, and that you are bringing us out of the darkness and into light. I pray that we would see you this morning. God, where we are unclear about who you are, I pray that you would become clear. Where we have doubts about your character, about your love, about your graciousness, I pray that you again remind us that you are good. God, where we are struggling, where we are fighting, where we are sad, where we are mourning, I pray that you would lift our spirits this morning. Remind us of your comforting care. And God, now would you use this passage to do a work again to refine us and shape us. We are not all the way there yet. May you use this message from your apostle not just to speak to our minds, but to transform our very hearts, that we may become like your son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask this in his name. Amen. The second half of the book of Ephesians is about how we live as Christians. So ever since chapter 4, he has been unpacking how we are to walk in the Christian faith. So he says that over and over again, and now walk this way. Walk in line with your calling. Walk in line with who you are. And who you are was unpacked in those first chapters, if you remember a long time ago, where we began unpacking those first three chapters that talked about the unfolding plan of the manifold wisdom of God to redeem and restore his beloved people. What does it mean in those chapters when Christians receive Christ by faith? Or what happens is nothing less than justification being made right in the eyes of God being cleansed from our sins, being adopted into his family, and being given the inheritance of Christ. 
Those are the first three chapters, and they're importantly the first three chapters because then he goes into the fourth chapter. Now that you have received Christ, here is how you must live. Here is how you must manage your life. Here is how you must change. In light of all that you have seen and believed and trusted in, now walk in line with this. And listen, friends, that is the gospel order. We do not live in certain ways and therefore become Christians. We become Christians and then therefore live in certain ways. And so if that is true, it matters so much what we have become. It matters what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. Because we are now in Him, we will change how we are living Today, there is nothing more important than in this time and in this place. We need to know how to live our lives, not just on Sundays, not just today, not just for a few hours, but every day. Not when we're just at, our, at home with our families, but when we're at work. Not when we're just going to small group, going to kids town. But in the world, our mission field And so we want to be reminded yet again what has happened to us. To take stock again to see what we have become in Jesus with the Lord. And Paul says, just to tell you right at the top, we have become light. We have become light. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. We're going to walk through this pretty quickly this morning, but here are three points to help us along. One, from darkness to light. Two, Walking in the light, and three, shining the light. One, from darkness to light. Look at verse 8. Hopefully you have your Bibles out in front of you so you can read along with me. Verse 8, Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So Paul, if you remember from last week, he just got, he just got done outlining the sexual ethic for the kingdom of God. As Christians, here's how we are to live with our minds, with our bodies. And now he's saying, here's why. And so he's kind of outlining, he's, he's outlaying to the, the Ephesian church what it means to be changed in Christ. And he's saying, here is how radical your conversion is. I'm not saying that you must follow these sexual ethics because simply God just wants to give you some more arbitrary rules. No, in line with who you are now and who you have become, those things should be a no-brainer. Conversion into Christ is radical. Radical. We have changed inwardly that will begin to change how we behave outwardly. So who we are on the inside is giving us direction for who we are on the outside. It is giving us a path. So growing up, one of my favorite family movies, the movies that, one of the movies that my family loved was King Ralph. I bet you've seen it. 1991, a long time ago. We saw it in the theater, then watched it after that. And the premise is pretty simple. The entire British royal family dies in a freak accident. They just die. I don't even remember how. They just die. And of course, they need to find someone to fill in to become king or queen. And so they begin this search, this genealogical search, and they come to America, to this sleazy dive bar where they find this guy named Ralph. 
and lounge singer. And then they tell him, you're going to be the next king of England. From nobody to royalty, from dirt poor to fabulously rich, from very weak to powerful. Overnight, he was now king. And the whole movie is about how he begins to figure out how to live into that. How do you do that? Now, that's, of course, a fantasy. That's not going to happen. Paul says that something more radical has taken place within the Christian. And it is no fantasy. And he does not use the imagery of kings and queens. No, for him, the difference between those who believe in Jesus and those who don't, for those who have been found in Christ and those who are not, is nothing less than the difference between the light and the dark. So my family's headed up to Camp of the Woods in a couple of weeks. It's a Christian campground. We'll spend a week there. It's a great place. One of the reasons that I love to go there now, I've shared this before, is because of the stars. You can see the stars there. It's in upstate New York, far from any big city. And so when you go out to the edge of the lake, far after the sun has gone down, the expanse of the universe opens up to you. The very Milky Way is visible with your eyes. You cannot describe it. You must see it. You must experience it. And when you see this, you realize that the stars were always there. They, they, didn't, they never went anywhere. Stars don't. Sometimes they burn out. But for the most part, they are always there. They do not lose their brightness when you go into the city, except that they do in the, in the sense that they are cloaked. When you come near a city, they are cloaked in artificial light. The stars are always, to one degree or another, burning hot and bright. In 2010, they discovered the brightest star they have ever discovered. Ten million times brighter than our sun. Can you believe that? The second you cut the lights, reality hits. Not only is the universe full of brilliant and fantastically bright stars, but you also see that the universe itself is very, very dark. It is only on the backdrop of the darkened night sky that the stars shine. Paul was speaking to a people who knew the difference between light and dark. They lived it. They would rise early with the light to farm, to fish, to work. But when the sun went down, they stopped. Except for those very bright lit moon nights, they would have to bunker down. The darkness was pervasive, overwhelming. They would not just have understood this concept intellectually, almost like we do today. They would have felt this viscerally. And he says to them and now to us, You, my friends, you have gone from darkness to light. Spiritually, inwardly, in the eyes of the Lord of hosts, you have gone from darkness to light. Friends, do you know that? That is Paul's question. Do you know that? Do you know how radical your life has been altered if you have trusted on Christ? 
And to truly get this distinction, we can't just know the darkness from the light. We must understand what he means by the darkness. And by, the, by understanding the darkness, we must admit who we once were. We must admit that we were not the light. That's what he says very clearly. For at one time, you were darkness. He is describing human nature. That is who we were apart from God. Spiritually, we were dark. So we didn't just do some evil things now and again. We didn't just make mistakes from from time to time. We were, from Paul's point of view, from the Bible's point of view, dark, evil, wicked. Now that is strong. (laughs) To be told in this day and age that we are wicked apart from Christ. Most of us want to believe that deep down we are good people. Now you must ask yourself if that is true. Are you truly deep down good? If you look at movies and art and books, very often they do not say that. They do not say that we're good deep down. People like Spielberg, the writer of The Lord of the Flies, creators of The Walking Dead, that TV show. They do not display the goodness of our natures, but the darkness. Do you believe that? In 1983, a man named Yechel de Neuer was interviewed by the late, great Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes. Yechel de Neuer was a Holocaust survivor, somehow managing to have survived his time at Auschwitz. In 1961, long after the war had ended, a man named Adolf Eichmann was arrested. Eichmann was one, if you remember, was one of the primary architects of the Holocaust. But at the end of the war, he was able to flee, and he fled. I can't remember if it was to Brazil, South America, I think. But in the, late, in the early 60s, he was captured and he was put on trial. And in 1961, Yehel de Nour stood as one of the witnesses against him. Yehel de Nour, when he, you can go watch it on YouTube, he tries to speak about his experience in Auschwitz and he tries to speak about this man, Adolf, what he had seen him do and he starts to ramble and he can't put his thoughts and words together and at some point he just breaks down and sobs. Mike Wallace in 1983, he shows that video to, the, to Yehel de Nour and he says, what happened? What happened? Were you overcome by hatred? By fear? Were you overcome by horrid memories of that place and that time? And he says, no, none of that. When I saw that man, Eichmann, I realized his ordinariness. That Eichmann was an ordinary man. He was not godlike. He was not so different from anyone else. In fact, he was much like me. And I broke down because... I was afraid about myself. And he says this to end. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. Yehil Dunor looked into his own heart and he saw spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness. Our morality, if we think about it, is dependent largely on our circumstances, where we were born, 
how our lives turned out. It is by the byproduct of our circumstances that we do good or we do bad. We will probably not participate in the worst crimes in the world, but that is not the right question. The right question is, what would you do if you were faced with those things? What would you do what is right? Or would you take part in evil? So I have tried numerous times to use this particular illustration about the Dachau concentration camp. So my wife and I traveled there in 2007, right before I came on staff here full time. And we were in Munich and we traveled out to this camp, infamous camp, and it's amazing and horrible, all those things. What was most shocking to me, though, was where Dachau was located. When you're on your little tour bus, you ride in to the middle of a city of a normal, bustling, smallish, quaint city. Dachau is not named for its awfulness. I don't even know what the word Dachau means. Except that it is named for the city it is in. You travel not to the concentration camp, but to the city. In my mind, I'm I'm thinking, it's got to be way out of the middle of nowhere. No, it was right in the center of the city. And I thought to myself, How dare they? How dare these people live in this city knowing what was going on inside? They would have smelled the smells. They would have seen the smoke coming up from those furnaces. And I've wanted to use the illustration by saying, we must not be like that. If something awful, something, some unjust thing is happening around us, we must stop it. Now, as true as that is, I have always refrained from using that illustration. And here's why. Because I do not know what I would have done if I was living in that city at that time. I do not know what I would have done. I know the darkness of my own heart. I know the darkness of the world. Would I be the one to do what is right or wrong? Would I have stood idly by? Here's the terrifying thought. Would I have been Adolf Eichmann? I do not know. The seeds of darkness are planted within us. Apart from God and his grace, Paul says we are darkness, which, friends, makes the contrast that he makes so amazing. We who were once lost are now found. But to be found in Christ is to be something totally different than what darkness is. In fact, the opposite. Verse 8 again. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are the light. Physically and visually there is no greater distinction, but spiritually the difference is even more radical. You are no longer evil but good. You are no longer hardened sinner but saved saint. You are no longer darkness but light. And you have become light by becoming one with the light of lights, Jesus Christ the King. That's the last part that says there. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in The Lord. Paul's not saying that you find the light somewhere deep down inside of you and you let it go. You release it for everyone to see. No, we are darkness. We need light from some other source. We need the light of Jesus poured into us. Poured over us. 
And now that we are one with him, we are shining out his light for the whole world to see. My favorite picture of this in the Bible is when Jesus goes up onto the mountain. He brings up his two disciples, John and Peter. And as they're standing there, if you remember, Jesus lights up. He lights up brighter than the night sky. They are almost blinded by it. He is glorified, illuminated. And then Moses and Elijah show up. Peter and John are amazed. But maybe the most catastrophic thing that happens is that God comes down. And not just his voice, but we are told the very cloud of God descends upon that mountain. And when you hear that, when you hear about the cloud of God, you should be thinking about the Old Testament. That is how God would manifest himself physically in the Old Testament, primarily. It's what theologians call a theophany, the the physical manifestation of God in the cloud. Well, in the cloud, in the Old Testament, you did not want to get close to that thing. That was the furious wrath and power and might and righteousness and glory of God. Anyone who approached it would die immediately, instantly. But on that mountain, Peter and John are standing there. Alive, They are talking about making tents for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. They could not see it, that they were standing inside of the cloud. They had gotten closer to the Father than anyone in history, and it was for only one reason. They were standing in the light of Jesus Christ. His emanating power and righteousness and goodness was covering them so thoroughly that it was making them, their darkness, into light. And that is how God was seeing them. That is how he was seeing them. Friends, if you have trusted on Jesus Christ, you have his light. You have the light of Jesus. He has saved us, purchased us. He has become one with us. He has transformed us. And so now we are one with him, the light of lights. And his light is shining now through us. And not just on the mountaintops. That's your gas station. At restaurants, you are the light in your neighborhoods, in your classrooms, at your doctor's office, in in your homes, in front of your family, in your workplace. Friends, if you have given your life to Jesus, you are no longer the darkness. And I just want to ask you, how are you going to change? What does that mean for you now? You have gone from darkness to light. Second point, walking in the light. Walking in the light. Verse 8. For at one time you were, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So what does it mean to walk in the light? Now we know who we are as a result of being saved by Jesus Christ and him being made one with us. We, need, we now have his light, so we need to continue to walk in that. That is what Paul is saying. Walk in the light. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you can see it there in verse 9. The first thing is that you must grow. Verse 9 says this, For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So in a sense, when you walk into the light of Christ and live that out, you begin to grow. And you see fruit growing off of your life, spiritual fruit. We are like an orange tree basking in the Florida sun. We produce hearty, happy fruit. 
to walk in the, in the Lord, in his light, to be illuminated by his person and presence. We grow up in him. And so we grow in goodness. We are kind and thoughtful. We are less self-centered. We are more giving. In fact, that word goodness could be translated into generosity. We become good. We grow in goodness. We grow in rightness. We seek to do what is honorable. We walk in integrity. We do what is right when no one is watching. We point people to the truth. And that's that third one there. We grow in the truth. We hate falsehood. We stop lying. We seek out the truths of God in our scriptures. We study passionately. We hold fast to the exclusive truth claims of Jesus. To walk in the light means to grow, but it also means this, that we change our very motives. We change the reason we try to be good in the first place. We change the reasons we seek after goodness and rightness and truth. Now let's read verse 8, but skip verse 9. So it's kind of a parenthetical statement. So read verse 8 going into verse 9. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light and so try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we don't just pursue whatever we think is good and right and true. We pursue it in a specific path with a specific destination. We pursue what is pleasing to God, to our Father. We do so because He is the source of all that is good and true and right. You cannot find these beautiful things apart from Him. You cannot do what is right unless you are looking to Him and seek, and, and seek Him. When you're in the desert with no food and no water, what do you do? You see a sign for food and water. What do you do? You go, well, I'm going to find it on my own. No, you go out and you follow those signs. You go and you find that water by way of the call. God is the source of all things. We are told, walk in the light, follow that path, and the path is to please Him. That is what we ask in our minds, in our hearts. And we please him simply because it is good. Simply because we are grateful for what he has done for us. Where we used to shun him, now we simply live to serve him. Where we used to spit in his face, now we seek to love him with our whole hearts. Where we used to live in disobedience, now we seek to please him. And that is our happiest life. This is how we were always intended to live. For when we do finally follow that path to his goodness and rightness, his truth, he showers us with his blessing. And I just want to ask you, is that the aim of your existence? Is it the aim of your existence to please your Father? Now, as we are light, walking in the light, do you long to please God? That is your good and happy life. Walk in the light. Last point this morning, shining in the light. Shining in the light. Paul says something really interesting in verse 13. He says this, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. So Paul is saying something very specific, that we do not just live in the light. We don't just hold it on for ourselves. Yea, we're light. No, what do lights do? Lights shine. Lights are meant to go out to others who are in the darkness. We have a 
purpose. We have a job. We must shine the light into the darkened world. We shine our light to those who are stuck in the darkness. Now, why is this so important? Did you catch that? Why is it so important? But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, commentators struggle with this passage. They struggle with this section. And I think they struggle with it because it does not fit neatly into our systematic theologies. It's basically saying that if we shine the light on someone, they will come to Christ. We know that God is the one who saves. Apart from Him, apart from those who have faith in Him, we are lost. And what Paul seems to be saying is that if we shine our light onto others, somehow they can be saved. As we shine our light on those who are in darkness, they will, at some level, to some degree, become light. And so all I say is this, friends, be mindful of your witness. Be mindful of the light that you are displaying when you are around those who do not believe. Very often it will be hard to live as the light in the darkness. As you know, it is awkward. You may be hated for it. You may lose out on friendships or business opportunities. But I think that Paul's point is that though the light may be unwelcome at first, it will eventually do a work to save those who are in your light. Our goodness, righteousness, and truth will at first not be met with gladness, but over time, if we gently and humble offer ourselves, that darkness will be exposed and could become light. Just like when you are at a movie theater in the midday, and you're in that darkness, and you come out, and the, and the sun is bright, it's so bright, and it hurts our eyes. It is painful. Over time, we get used to it, and we remember how beautiful and important it is. So with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, we shine our light we may let it have its effect. It may very well save them. John Sott says it this way. Exposure sounds negative. Showing people for what they are. Judgmental. Condemning. And it is that. But the light which exposes has positive evangelistic power also. The light of one soul making another light. For it may bring people as they see the ugliness of evil to conviction of their sin and so to penitent faith in Jesus. A good friend of mine started playing basketball with, with a group of guys. He wanted to play, he wanted to get in shape, but he also wanted to be a light if he could. And he had to be. These were dark guys. As you can imagine, these were not Christians. He was the only Christian there. And they had some interesting language. They spoke in some interesting ways. Lots of trash talking. And they found out that he was a Christian. And they knew that he was different. And so they started to mock him. They played dirtier just against him. But he kept with it. He didn't run away. He spoke into their lives where he could. He tried to be the light of Christ to them, even where he could, where he sinned, he would apologize for it. And slowly, he saw over time, over months, that they started to change, that they started to warm up to him, but in a way that he did not really expect. Someone finally looked at him and said, why are you so different from us? 
And then in that same conversation, can you tell me about Jesus? Several of those players gave their lives to Christ and now live in the light. They live to please the Lord. Friends, we are headed out into the summer. It's a beautiful, glorious time. And you are going to have many opportunities to show your light. Do not hide it under a bushel. Live good, right, and true lives. Speak good, right, and true things about the Word and about the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as the light of light into the world, into utter darkness, and he lived the perfect life in front of us, the life of pure goodness and rightness and truth, and he did it to please his Father. But when it came time, he gave up his life on the cross. And his light was snuffed out. And he became the darkness. He became the darkness on the cross for us. Friends and brothers and sisters, that we may shine like the stars in the heavens. Let's pray. Oh God, I just pray now that you would show us. Contrast it in our minds again where we have been and where we now are. It is far worse than we could ever have have dared believe. We know that because Jesus Christ had to die for us. But we also know, oh Lord, that we are more loved than we dare hope. For Jesus Christ went to the cross dying for our sins. That is how much he loved us. And he did so that we may become, as we were intended to be, the light of the world, of the universe. Beacons of your goodness and rightness and mercy. Show that to our minds now. And God, I pray for those here here who have not trusted on you. They have kept themselves back from trusting you. They think you're there at some level. But they are, not ready, they are not willing or ready to give themselves over. And I pray that you would give them space now, and that you would open up their hearts, that they would feel their need of you as we just sung, and that they would repent of their darkness and put their hope in you who has taken the darkness from them and who will do so gladly if they would trust on Jesus Christ and his blood and his righteousness and his love. Oh God, may this church be a light to the world. May we be the shining hill on the mountain, on the, maybe the shining city on the hill that others may see it, that they may see what we have found. We are no better. We are pointing people to the light of lights, the light that is now in us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.